our scripture reading uh, today is, is an interesting one. Um, that doesn't tell you much, except uh, that it's, it's one story that is uh, in several different parts of the Gospels, uh, and it's told a little differently. But we're going to focus on, on one of the, the stories particularly, and it comes out of the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So listen now for the word of God. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the other, uh, the, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? Now he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he kept a common purse and used to steal what was put into it. And then Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The word of God for the people of God. Have uh, any of y'all ever had to listen to the same story by two different people? Y'all know this, I guess, right? It's particularly uh, a fun thing uh, to do when those, same, those different people are in the same space, right? They usually try to decide amongst themselves who's going to tell the story, and uh, eventually one of them is appointed the storyteller. And then the one appointed storyteller begins to tell the story, and they get about a sentence <laughs> or a word sometimes in before they are disrupted you know, by the other person. Uh, and then these disagreements just continue to mount in this whole process until finally, right, the one appointed to tell the story just throws their hands up and says, you know what, apparently I don't know the story at all, I wasn't there correctly, whatever, you tell the story. Y'all know this? Yeah. Well, sometimes, sometimes you hear uh, different versions of the same story as well by the same people, right? My kids like to tell uh, a story about floating the river and then getting caught up on a branch, okay? And there are different versions of these re retellings. Uh, it started with like a raging river at one point. They, they were like white water uh, floating, you know? Uh, to another version of them, it, it was very calm to the point that you wonder if they would have gotten a disease in such stagnant water, right? And then the stakes sort of change as well, right? From, from dad, we were, we were this close to being abandoned by the people with us to they were right next to us the entire time, right? And, and this, is, this is what happens when these stories <laughs> are told in this way. But really at this point, uh, what I know is that they were on a river, they were floating, somehow a branch snagged one of them, uh, the people with them were close enough, they were rescued, and they lived to tell the tale, Mostly I feel fortunate 
that they had this experience of floating the river, and I'm also thankful that they uh, had a scary experience floating the river because they may never ask me to go float a river with them. Not that I don't want to take my children uh, to things. It's that, as if you don't know by now, I'm not really a water person, and that may shock some of you all. And plus, as you just heard in the story, it's a little dangerous to be floating the river. <laughs> but our scripture today relays a story uh, that is like the situations um, that I've just described, okay? And believe it or not, this story is told uh, differently four times in the four gospels. There's some emphasis on some certain facts here. Uh, There's some omission of of certain names in this story. Uh, And sometimes uh, even the whole setting is sort of changed. And now, while some people may be uncomfortable with this realization that there is one story told four different ways, I take comfort in the fact that it most definitely means that it is a human story. A human story that is striving to say something true about God. So for example, in John's scripture, the one we read today, he's the author of the scripture that we read today, we are led into a very intimate gathering. Right? They are at Lazarus's house. Everyone know Lazarus? It's the one Jesus raised from the dead, also the one that Jesus uh, wept for at the tomb. Right? And, and Martha's name, in fact, all the characters are named, but they're gathered in this really intimate space. Martha's serving, Judas is there, Uncle Judas, if you want to refer to him that way. Uh, and then Mary comes along and she breaks this jar of very costly and expensive perfume. And she breaks it over Jesus' feet. And then she wipes his feet with her hair. And right then, Judas, and I imagine him sort of uh, leaning over to the person next to him and silently saying this, as we all tend to do when we're trying to build a silent consensus around, just says, you know, we we could have sold that perfume for a lot of money. And of course, Jesus reprimands Judas saying, leave her alone, Right? She, she did a beautiful thing to me. But I like John's depiction of this moment best. I like it because he names Mary. In Matthew and Mark's account, we get a mere woman. And in Luke's account, we get a sinful woman. Now, in Luke's setting, they are in a Pharisee's home. Right? So, so the Pharisees are those, those people that we kind of think are a little more rigid, more legalistic. So to have, a, have a, a, a sinful woman sitting before Jesus and allowing Jesus to allow this sinful woman to touch him, that's, that's unclean. Every good story needs a little bit of tension, right? And, and if that doesn't provide tension, I don't know what will. But as I reflect on my times here at Bee Creek United Methodist Church, And on these four perspectives of the broken jar story, I'm reminded of the different descriptions that we can give uh, one of the the favorite things that I've loved here. It started as the uh, the no-wall service, uh, then became the harbor, right? If we wanted to sound edgy, we could tell the outside world, well, here at Bee Creek, we hold worship at a bar, right? But Jim the ever-present sobering realist among us would quickly say, Matt, it's actually at a pizzeria, right? 
But, but then Wilson would come along and he would say, well, it's a pizzeria with a beer garden. And he would say that accurately, of course. And then I would come along because I'm the actual diva in the group and I just want to be different. And I would say, but let's not forget, it was held at a distillery at one point. And there you have it, right? These varying perspectives trying desperately to describe a worshipful moment in Bee Creek's history. And even the choice of language that we use can reverberate differently uh, for those receiving the story. Uh, a bar, conceptually, is different than a pizzeria. Even a beer garden with a pizzeria is different than just a pizzeria. And then to add, you know, to put that all together, a distillery is very different than all of those things. Of course, if we're not careful, all these deliberations and measured retellings tend to emphasize our desired effects rather than the action that precedes them. And in my mind, this is the danger of, of telling stories. This is the danger of, of giving sermons. This is the danger of putting out Instagram stories, maybe closer to home for all of us. This is the danger in reporting the news. We, are, um, we may be motivated or have an impulse for a desired effect. Get a few laughs. Move a few hearts. We may be motivated uh, to simply just be relevant for the sake of being relevant, to gain new followers or more followers. Or we may be tempted to just have higher ratings. Just, just give the mob what they want. They'll give us five stars if we do. On Google and Yelp and all those things, right? And yet, all of these desired effects are peripheral. They are the accidents. They are not the substance. And as I have served here at Bee Creek United Methodist Church, I can say, I can say that the same danger is present in the ways that we may decide to do ministry. The ways that we may decide to offer ourselves up to God and to one another. But as a wise fisherman once said, and those of you who are fishermen you can, or fisherwomen, you can correct me if I'm wrong, if you want to catch fish, you need to go where the fish are. And perhaps that right there is the, the beating heart of something like the harbor. All the talk about location. The location is just where that idea became tangible. And likewise, Jesus, in all of these accounts, speaks very powerfully to the substance, to the heart of the matter. And I want to read you some of Jesus' responses from all four accounts. Jesus says, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful deed to me. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, because her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. She has done what she could to anoint my body in advance of my burial. And truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached in all of the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. The broken jar of costly perfume was a mark of the depth of Mary's devotion to Christ. 
and these, these different perspectives that the people tend to see in this one act, they are all evident in the scriptures. The perfume was costly. It was expensive. This is evidenced by the disciples murmuring. By the way, in the other accounts, it is the disciples. It's not just Judas. Murmuring how much they could have gotten for that jar if they had sold it. All of the perfume was used as evidence of the disciples being angry, being angry about this wasteful act. And as I was reading through these four accounts, there's a word that kept coming to mind that I'm sure the disciples were thinking, naive. Mary was so naive. Did she not see all those other opportunities? Did she not realize that that one gift could have actually benefited so many others? Of course, there's another word that Jesus does use for the same act. Beautiful. Beautiful. She did what she could do. She loved much because she was forgiven much. What she has done will be told in memory of her. So here's the rub. The world often reduces or dismisses beautiful deeds and meaningful acts of devotion as naive. In fact, you can look around the world now and many of the most potent, tangible forms of Christ's love begin in naive fashion. One of the first examples that came to mind when I was thinking of it this way uh, was Alan Graham. Alan Graham is the founder of Mobile Loaves and Fishes. And Alan Graham wanted to take a single green van around Austin with a couple of friends and feed our brothers and sisters who were experiencing homelessness. That was a little over 20 years ago. And now there is a 51-acre master plan community in Northeast Austin that provides permanent, affordable, and stable housing for all our brothers and sisters who, are, who have chronically experiencing homelessness but are coming out of it. And they have a community that can surround them with support. It's wonderful if you haven't seen it. But all Alan wanted to do was to respond to God's invitation to love your neighbor. Maybe on a global scale, I'm, I'm thinking of, of Mother Teresa, the Albanian nun who decided that she was going to leave the safety of her convent, go out into the slums in Calcutta and try to be present and to help the folks, the poorest of the poor in that area. And she inspired the missionaries of charity, the co-workers. Both of those uh, were institutionalized in 1969. And get this, by 1990, there were over one million co-workers over 40 countries, all inspired by Mother Teresa, single act, who really just wanted to love and care for people who no one else was prepared to love and care for. But of course, Alan, he could have spent his, uh, his time and resources a bit more wisely. What did he think? That he could feed the entire population of, of the homeless and with one van? 
Is he not aware of like how volatile the gas prices are? Like how naive, right? Or Mother Teresa, just a small and frail figure going into some of the most dangerous areas in Calcutta. Does she not know how dangerous that is? How naive. Come to think of it, it wasn't too long ago that a group of people got together in Spicewood, Texas, and they wanted to form a faith community um, based off this principle of imperfectness, to bring imperfect people together. But first, they would have to meet in rented space uh, in a place where there was ungodly parties on Saturday night, and then they would have to meet early on Sunday mornings to clean up and have worship. And to top that off, they, would, they, they were given a physical plant finally, but that plant was a few miles off the main highway, and it was, it was situated next to a cove popularly known as, and this is all I've heard, White Trash Cove. Like, that, that is a marketing nightmare, right? And, and how are they going to see you from the road? It's a naive thing to do. But the real tragedy, the real tragedy would have been if all those people thought that what they could do was simply too naive and then walked away. If Alan had decided that crazy idea that I have, that thing that I have to express for myself to love my neighbor, that's just naive. And if Alan walked away, if Mother Teresa decided it is too dangerous, it's a naive idea, I think I'll just stay in the convent. If the people at Bee Creek decided, you know what, getting together a bunch of imperfect people, well, getting together people is a lot of trouble. Maybe we should just not do that. But thank God something more substantial resulted. The thing that is apparent to me in these passages, the thing that stands out most is that being the church is not about looking, looking like the world, like looking like what success looks like in the world. It's not about the buildings that we can build. It's not about the bells and whistles. It's not about all the cool programs that we can have. It's not about being cool at all. It's not even about having finances and goods stored away just in case. It's about our fidelity to Christ. It's about our devotion to the people and places that Christ calls us to. We are just supposed to learn how to be faithful as a body. So that once we learn how to be faithful, we can do it over and over and over again, kind of like a practice. We are supposed to learn how to let go of those costly jars of perfume. So what if we weren't afraid of our devotion to Christ being described as naive? What if we could focus in on the essence of Christ's call in all our lives to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release, 
to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to tell the world that Jesus has come to save God's people, to heal the sick, feed the hungry, eat with sinners. In every hardship, in every victory, and in everything in between, in every transition, every moment, we have an opportunity to assess those jars of perfume in our lives. And will we choose to anoint the holy or come up with all the reasons why we shouldn't? Will we choose to focus on Christ's presence in our midst or get fixated on everything else? Church, our chapter together is ending. But our stories will continue. And God is not done with you yet. And thanks be to God, after three years of living alongside you, you have convinced me and reminded me that God is not done with me yet. So may you choose to break those jars of perfume. May you choose to use all of the perfume. May you choose to focus on Christ in your midst. And may your devotion to Christ be made plain in naive fashion. And wherever we may find ourselves, we can take heart in the reality that our stories are forever intertwined and that we are forever bound together in Christ. So Godspeed, church, and amen. Let's pray. O God of new beginnings and God of ending, Lord, we give you thanks for this time and for this place that we can gather here in your name. Lord, we pray that you just convict our hearts, that you show us, that you show us those jars of perfume in our lives, that you show us how to use it, all of it. Lord, be in this space, be in our worship, be in our music, be in our words to one another. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.